right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. We don't got time for that. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. On a day that was supposed to be celebratory and in many ways it was in Kansas City, it has turned tragic as uh, there's been ongoing coverage of a, a shooting that occurred outside Union Station at the conclusion of the Chiefs Super Bowl Parade earlier this afternoon, uh, ongoing coverage. We will probably be getting to some of that coverage. Uh, we're going to carry some of uh, uh, TV 5s coverage potentially coming up uh, throughout the show here, but very scary stuff. So if you are in the Kansas City area or, or in the Kansas City area, please uh, stay safe out there and, and follow the instructions of whatever law enforcement uh, you may be dealing with as a, uh, it does seem to be a, a very much of a, a scary ongoing situation with uh, some people injured in a shooting uh, in Kansas City at the at the Chiefs Bowl Parade. So certainly a, a scary situation. And like I said, we're going to probably be getting to some of that coverage uh, throughout the show today here on here on uh, Rock Chalk Sports Talk with uh, KCTV5 as uh, it, it does seem to be a bit of an ongoing situation. So I'll be keeping an eye on that in the studio here as we go through the show today. Uh, a lot more to get to on the show as well. Uh, certainly coming up. Around 3.40, we're going to get talk with Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Stern World about uh, KU basketball after their loss against Texas Tech on a Monday night. We also have our KU mailbag segment coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. You still have time to submit a question if you'd like to. Uh, you can do that on social media at, at uh, RCST 1320 on Twitter. You can also hit us up if you want to, if you want to on the text line here uh, with the, our text request line with the number uh, 785-843-1321. If you have any questions for our KU mailbag, that's coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Uh, KU women's basketball has a game tonight against Cincinnati. We'll talk a little bit about that coming up in the 4 o'clock hour as well. And also Shreya Salata of the Kansas City Star is going to join the show. And we'll get to some KU basketball heroes and villains. And there was some uh, tons of audio to get to from the Chiefs parade that we may get to later on in the show, depending on uh, what happens with this ongoing situation from Kansas City. Like I said, we're, we're going to be probably breaking in with that coverage as as uh, necessary here throughout the show on RCST. So just be, be aware of that. But uh, there has been a, a shooting outside of Union Station, right at the conclusion of the Chiefs Super Bowl parade on a day that, again, was supposed to be uh, a, a celebration of, uh, of a Chiefs Super Bowl, back-to-back Super Bowl champions, but it has ended in, uh, in in tragedy in Kansas City. So we'll be keeping an eye on that coverage and bringing you some of that coverage live as necessary throughout the show here today uh, on RCST. So just uh, just be aware of that. And again, certainly, uh, you know, try to stay as up-to-date as you try to stay as up-to-date as you as you can if you plan to be if you are in the area or if you plan to be in that area uh, just be aware that uh, there is a a serious ongoing situation there uh and it it seems to be still potentially active as a uh, law enforcement by all accounts sounds like has uh, responded immediately and has done uh, a very admirable job but uh, it's it does seem to be a bit of an ongoing situation so uh just we'll, we'll be keeping on that like i said and, and possibly bringing more coverage of that to you uh, throughout the show today. So just uh, be aware of that. Uh, here off the top of the show, I did want to do a little bit of a fun with numbers or not so fun with numbers discussion 
regarding Hunter Dickinson. Uh, Hunter Dickinson is coming off of probably the three worst game stretch of his season for Kansas. Three consecutive games under 45% from the floor. Uh, he had one of his worst games, not just of his career, or not not just uh, at, well, at Kansas, but of his career uh, against Texas Tech, going just 2 of 12 from the floor in uh, in that game. And for Hunter Dickinson, obviously he was one of the high, most highly sought-out players in the transfer portal and, and a guy that certainly Kansas is very, very lucky to have. And the question, I think, for, for Hunter Dickinson at this point is, can he recapture some of his success? Because, like I said, that 2 of 12 from the field against Texas Tech, it was not just the worst shooting game of uh, his career at Kansas, but of his entire career going back to Michigan. In fact, his two made field goals in that game uh, against uh, Texas Tech, you have to go back to his sophomore year to last to find another game where he only made two shots. Last season at Michigan, he never made less than three field goals in any game. In 34 games at Michigan as a junior, he never made less than three field goals in any game. Uh, his sophomore year, it only happened in one game that he made two shots. You have to go all the way back to his freshman year to find a game in which he made less than two shots. He had two games in which he only made one shot. So you're talking about a guy who's been the definition of consistency, the, the, the definition of a guy that can go up and score. And so it was a, a really, really rough performance for him, certainly, uh, against Texas Tech. And, that you know, there's a lot that you can kind of – there's a lot that you can kind of uh, go into that with. You know, the fact that no Kevin McCuller, the pressure probably more on Hunter Dickinson. Obviously, then you have the officiating situation with Bill Self after the game, I think – he mentioned the physicality and how Dickinson was maybe a guy that felt the brunt of that down low, especially in a game against Texas Tech. But, he, I mean, he's been a guy that you can heavily rely on. And, and like I said, Hunter Dickinson has now shot under 45% from the field in three straight games in his entire career. That has only happened one other time. Let's go back to his freshman season. So you look at what he's done in, the last, in his last three games for Kansas uh, against Texas Tech, Baylor, and Kansas State. Against Kansas State, 8 of 18, 44%. Against Baylor, 7 of 19, 37%. And now against Texas Tech, 2 of 12, under 20%. The only other time, the only other time in his career, he had three straight games shooting under 45% from the field. All the way back in his freshman year in 2021, he had four consecutive games in, in January of 2021 in which he went one for three, three of seven, three of nine, and four of 10 from the floor in, in Big 12 play. So the, the it's not just the Texas Tech game specifically. It's that now he's had three consecutive games. Uh, in which he's been less than efficient, right? And that's just not what we're used to seeing from him. And, and again, I, I understand you do have to kind of maybe factor in the rest aspect, the fact that he's played these, you know, three of those last four games really on short rest in in, in certain situations with the K-State and the Texas Tech game. And and uh, on top of that, possibly, you know, playing without Kevin McCuller certainly puts more pressure on him as well. And he is now down to his lowest field goal percentage of his career at, at Kansas uh, shooting 55, he's 55, 55.8% from the floor so far this season at Kansas. He was just over 60% his first two years at Michigan. Last season at Michigan, he was at 58%, so he's uh, 3% lower than what he's ever been in his career. Uh, and so he's he, he's actually just 1% better, though, from two from two point shots only so far this season at Kansas than he was a, a last season. And so when you factor in the three-point shooting for Dickinson, that's where you get a little bit of the less efficiency for Dickinson. And you have to wonder if he's feeling more pressure to shoot more three-point shots because of the fact that this is a Kansas team that is clearly not necessarily built to score from the perimeter, especially with no Kevin McCuller. Dewan Harris is not a volume shooter. Uh, Johnny Furphy has stepped up and done what done what he can. But you wonder if Dickinson does feel more does feel that pressure more to shoot more threes, and that's reflected in his volume of three-point shooting. You go back to last season in 34 games, Dickinson shot 57 total threes. 
He's played 25 games for Kansas so far this season and has shot already 53 threes. So over half a three more per game already than what he shot. So he's it's he's certainly on pace to well eclipse the number of threes he shot, not just last season, but any in any season in his career. He shot 61 in his second season at Kansas, so he's going to be certainly shooting the most he's ever shot in his career, which would drag down his total field goal percentage, you would think, because his two-point percentage overall has still been pretty solid, comparatively speaking, to what he's been doing uh, in his in his career. Uh, and, and if you dive a little bit deeper into the numbers, he's still really efficient at the rim overall on the year. You look at his numbers at the rim, uh, what is classified as close to by Bart Torvik, he is still shooting over 70% on close twos. It's the far two. It's that mid-range jumper that where he's kind of fallen off a little bit. He's down to 49% on those shots. And Matt Tate, or one one Sports, brought up a great point about something that could maybe loosen him up and get him back going again. Maybe is hit is knocking down more of those mid-range jump shots that he could that he could hit. So that's something to keep an eye on. Maybe he tries to expand on those roles. He's still at, like I said, he's still at 58% from two overall, just under 34% now from three on the year. Uh, as as uh, he's you know he had that long stretch where he really struggled from three overall and he, and he struggled again in the game against Texas Tech going 0 of two from three he's now hit two threes in his last in his last 11 games he's hit two threes in his last 11 games one against Baylor and one against Iowa State so it's been uh, a bit of a struggle for him certainly from three and that's certainly brought down his overall field goal percentage uh, quite a bit as well. So I, I think the the overarching theme here, though, is based on his track record, I don't think you can expect Hunter Dickinson to continue to be inefficient, You know, especially if he's got a little more rest under him, especially if Kevin McCuller returns. I think you can expect Hunter Dickinson's numbers to, to, to bounce back, really. So I'm not really that alarmed overall by his play uh, so far this season, but uh, that he has... He has obviously had a bit of a, a drop-off here in these last three games. So uh, that's a little bit of an interesting dive into the numbers here. And I think it's, like I said, I think it's safe to assume that he's going to bounce back offensively. The past four games have been particularly tough for various reasons, right? Whether it's been rest-related, no Kevin, tough road environments. Uh, and Hunter Dickinson has still been one of KU's best players overall uh, on the floor this season. So I think I think you can expect him to bounce back and would expect him to bounce back. So we'll see what he does against Oklahoma. Oklahoma is a more favorable matchup for him as well. Ke- uh, Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports brought that up on yesterday's show that uh, the Oklahoma is a little bit better of a matchup. You know, Warren Washington for for Texas Tech came in and, and was a pretty physical a pretty physical guy. And then you go back even to the Baylor game with what he's Misi did, another pretty physical guy as well uh, for, for Baylor. And the matchup-wise for Hunter Dickinson, it should get a little bit easier here coming down the stretch. They do have to play Baylor again. But you look at Texas with, like, Dylan Mitchell, Caden Shedrick, that's a matchup I think you still favor. Or not Dylan Mitchell, uh, Dylan DeSue plus uh, Caden Shedrick. That's a matchup you still probably favor with Dickinson. That's coming up. BYU, obviously more of a five-out team. Not really anybody to worry about in terms of big post play. And then same with, like, Kansas State and Houston later on the schedule. So you look at Baylor – and uh, you look at possibly Texas as teams that are still going to be potentially tough matchups for Dickinson, but it feels like he's in position now to where maybe with his legs back under him with extra rest, with Kevin McCuller possibly coming back, with maybe a little bit better matchups for him, that uh, he could bounce back and, and really get things rolling offensively as we head into this final stretch of the season here for Kansas basketball. As I said, the, the main story for today after the Chiefs parade, uh, it's an ongoing situation, uh, shooting at Union Station immediately following the Chiefs parade. 
And uh, we are going to switch over to a little bit of coverage of that, I think, here coming up on the other side. We're going to take a break. We'll switch over to some coverage of that coming up on the uh, on the other side here to give you the latest info on that with uh, from KCTV5. We are still scheduled to be joined by Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World at 3.40. And then we're going to be joined in the 4 o'clock hour by Shreya Slato. Also have a Katie Milbag still to come and uh, Kansas Women's Basketball Preview. So more coming up. If you still want to submit a question for our KMO bag, you can also hit us up on our text line, 785-843-1321. If you have any questions coming up for the KMO bag in the 4 o'clock hour. But uh, we'll take a time out here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, get some more coverage of the ongoing situation in Kansas City. Like I said, we are still scheduled to be joined by Henry Greenstein at 340, uh, and we will go from there on the show here. But uh, obviously a bit of a fluid situation happening right now. But we'll take a time out. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. We are keeping a close eye on the ongoing coverage of the events that are, have unfolded in Kansas City following the Chief Super Bowl Parade. Keeping a close eye on that, but we'll keep with our uh, regularly scheduled programming here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. And on on this time at this time on uh, Wednesdays, we are joined by none other than Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World. Uh, Henry, you look back at that game against Texas Tech on Monday night. Are you willing to maybe brush it off the result as okay? Texas Tech came out hot. Kansas was coming off a short rest. No Kevin McCuller. Or do you think there was maybe some bigger problems at play that led to that to tough loss for Kansas on Monday night? I mean, I don't think you totally can brush it off. Like, this was a, I understand they were depleted, but this was a key spot for KU to make a statement that its road woes were behind it, that it could still put together a good showing in the absence of one of its best players. And instead, it, it fell flat in pretty much every conceivable way. I mean, I, I think Bill Self put it well when he said they looked a step slow. It felt like, everything on the defensive end was like behind as though they were like watching a delayed feed of what the opposing offense was doing. I mean, the, the, the switches were off. They were constantly playing catch up, constantly leaving people open. And on the offensive side, just like missing routine shots that they normally make. So yeah, I, on the whole, I mean, a, a really big setback for them and, and their chances in the conference, which now look rather slim, uh, I believe oddsmakers have reflected that too and have them pretty pretty far off um, from being able to claim the conference crown. So, yeah, a, a huge blow, and I think at this point you just have to try to get Kevin healthy. Yeah, when you, when you think about KU's struggles on the road in conference play, now 1-5, in five, well, what do you think is the biggest factor in the issues that KU's had on the road really throughout this season that has seemingly culminated in this game against Texas Tech? Um, it's a couple of things. I, I think one of them is the fact that their defense has not traveled. I mean, I just referred to how putrid it was at times against Texas Tech, and I, I think we've seen that in most of the games. Uh, at, at moments, they have just let people get wide open, and it hasn't all been you know, people having fluky shooting nights. I understand you don't go 12 for 12 very often, and I think Hunter Dickinson is perfectly entitled to deadpan about Darren Williams not being expected to go 12 for 12. But there have been quite a few games where they've given up a a plethora of three-point opportunities just beyond people shooting better than they usually do. I mean, I think about West Virginia. That was the game where the whole discourse afterward was how much of this is KU's bad defense and how much of it is West Virginia getting lucky. And, you know, it, it continues to be a mixture of both. Um 
I put up a stat on Twitter earlier that this season, KU has had three players who have shot more than, uh, sorry, three times this season has KU had a player make more than three threes in a game. Thirteen times this season has a KU opponent had a player do that. So just a, a really stark juxtaposition, and a lot of that damage in recent days has come on the road. So that's one thing. Um, I, I think the bench, obviously, continues to be an issue, um, and I think that's especially harmful on the road uh, when when all the mental energy you're expending is, is going against you, and and uh, especially with Kevin McCullough being injured. But, of course, that's a problem that follows them wherever they go. But, yeah, I, I just feel like for whatever reason – their defense has not been nearly as turned up, as Bill Self would say, whenever they have to go somewhere outside of Allen Fieldhouse. Yeah, you mentioned that set on three-point shooting. Do, do, you, do you think maybe this discussion around the defensive three-point shooting for KU is, is exacerbated by the fact that they themselves have struggled offensively to shoot threes uh, so far this season also? Yeah, it, it definitely is because they can't get themselves in a three-point shooting battle because they don't have enough players who are willing to engage or good enough shooters. Uh, the reason why I say willing to engage is that someone like DeWan Harris isn't going to endlessly fire away from that distance. But, yeah, I mean, the, in a lot of these games, they just have not had the raw firepower on offense, uh, especially when Hunter Dickinson and K.J. Adams aren't going inside the way they usually do. I, I mean, they don't have the ability to, to get in a firefight with, uh, with, with the other teams, and I think that that's been – a problem on some occasions. Yeah, I think that's a good point you brought up, bring up there, right? Like, if KU's strength, which at this point you would say is their interior scoring with KJ Adams and Hunter Dickinson, if that's not going well, it feels like it's pretty tough for them to win any game, right? Regardless of whether or not the opposing the opposing team is shooting well from three, right? Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of the talk this year has been about how how good of a two point team KU is, and that certainly goes along with that. And it reminds me of the kind of the discussion about. Um, how many assists they've had and how they've been constantly among the top teams in the country in terms of producing assists. And certainly that reflects how good their ball movement is, but it also is because they don't have people creating off the dribble very much. Um, they, they don't have people driving in on their own. They're doing a great job producing things, and Bill Self schemes a lot of great opportunities for them. But, I mean, for one thing, they're not always hitting that opportunity. And they don't always have people who are able to generate things when there are none. I mean, especially with Kevin out of there. I mean, you saw a lot of possessions in the last game where people would like kind of dump the ball to Dewan Harris at the end of the shot clock, just kind of like expecting him to do something. And the problem is, you know, like Dewan shooting a floater with three defenders around him is not a very high percentage look. And uh, he's historically made those rather often, but, I mean, that's not what you want, and they don't really have a lot of people who can create something in that kind of situation when Kevin's off the floor. Yeah, and when you look at Hunter Dickinson specifically, uh, Henry, he's only had one other time in his entire career where he's had three consecutive games shooting under 45% from the floor, and obviously that certainly spiked with the fact that he went 2 of 12 uh, against Baylor, or against uh, Texas Tech, pardon me. You go back to his last season at, at, at Michigan last season, he didn't have a single game where he made less than three field goals. So that, you know, that just tells you something about his, his efficiency and how regularly he's been good. So I guess with that in mind, do you feel confident that maybe with some extra rest and with Kevin possibly coming back that Hunter can, can basically get going once again for this offense? I think so. I mean, I think back to a similar sort of thing that was happening in early December uh, when Hunter said he was, get, he was 
I don't remember exact wording, but like he was fatigued and really in need of a break. And then he comes back a little bit later, and, and by the end of the month, like he seems perfectly fine. So my hope for him is that, uh, you know, between this slightly extended period uh, between Monday and Saturday, and then also with a week off next week, that, that he can kind of restore himself to the form we're used to. And again, like he's generating opportunities, just not making the shots. And I think the physicality portion of it uh, is, is getting to him in some ways. Um, that's obviously what Bill Self was annoyed about. So I, 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 I'm not sure exactly what he can do to deal with that better. Um, you know, he only drew three fouls in the last game, despite being blanketed a lot, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I can definitely see why this would be a, a, a tiring portion of the season for him. Yeah. To that point on Bill Self and the physicality, he gets ejected for the first time ever at Kansas and had some comments after the game. I, I guess what what was kind of a reaction to that, and and what did you gauge really what what Bill Self was maybe trying to get out of that situation and and with the refs? Well, I believe him that he wasn't trying to get ejected. Um, for one thing, I mean the whole thing is that people say he's so purposeful and a good coach knows when he needs to get technical to fire his team or whatever. And you know, I don't think this was really one of those times. But I think maybe it would have done some good to at least to the extent he felt he could without uh, drawing the ire of the league office, be a bit more specific. Because when you just talk wholesale about physicality as the thing that you are concerned about, that gives people chances to very easily poke holes in what you're saying or pass it off as an excuse or something. So I think maybe he wasn't quite specific enough. That may also have itself been a tactical maneuver, but... Uh, it, it certainly leaves a gray area as to what he was talking about. Now, on that play, I mean, I, I think it's pretty apparent what he's talking about on that play. You know, Hunter was trying to jockey for a position with Robert Jennings. Self thought that Jennings was fouling in a variety of different circumstances, and then it goes on for a few seconds, and then Dickinson gets called for the foul, and that's what really set him off. But, you know, it says he's, he said it's something he's observed throughout the season. Um, I, I'd be interested. I'd, I'd just be interested to reflect and kind of think about what other times he might have been referring to. But you know, the fact that it's not just him, but all these other experienced coaches are sounding the alarm certainly lends credence to uh, his ire. Yeah, I think it's interesting, right? Because you you would have to assume that maybe there's being there's some discussions being had privately, right, with about the situation. But clearly, whatever message the coaches, not you know, not just Bill Self, like you said, with Scott Drew, Calvin Sampson also getting ejected recently. Clearly, if there is a message being said behind closed doors, it's not getting home, right? So they're taking it more of a public approach, I guess. Yeah, and I'm not even really totally sure what the what the specific complaints are, in part because no one has really articulated them. I mean, I, I say, like I said, uh, self was very vague. You know, Kelvin Sampson got asked about it and said he didn't want to talk because uh, he'd get fined because that was what happened to Mac Rhodes, the Baylor athletic director. And of course, even even Mac Rhodes, I believe, just sort of vaguely said that the officiating was an embarrassment. I think in that case, it was because Scott Drew got assessed technicals for coming out of the coaching box too much, which is a little silly with some of the stuff we've seen this year. But I, I have a hard time knowing where I stand on this topic without knowing specifically what it is that they're distressed about from the uh, the officials' performance perspective. Well, you go back to Saturday, and it wasn't the officiating, but it was Nick Timberlake that had Bill Self a little bit peeved after that game against Baylor. Uh, but then Nick Timberlake comes back and gets the start against Texas Tech. 
Do you think that was more of a sign of trust in Nick Timberlake to sort of bounce back, or do you think maybe that was just a situation where the options were pretty thin, right? I mean, you could have gone with Marco Jackson, or maybe but Jamar McDowell wasn't available, I guess. Well, what's kind of your view on how things unfolded on Saturday and then how that kind of turned over into Monday as well? Yeah, I, I think a little column A, a little column B. Like, obviously, it's easiest to have the continuity, but also, I mean, even though his recent words haven't always reflected it, I, I do believe that Bill Self thinks very highly of Nick Timberlake and his attitude and his desire to improve. And this starting spot uh, after the blunders he committed in, in the end of the Baylor game seems like an expression of that confidence. And I, I think he paid it off pretty well. I understand that probably some of the defensive errors were on him. Uh, you know, he's just kind of apparently not as good a defender as the other people that he's in the starting lineup with, which is fine. Not everyone has to be a, a candidate for top defensive player of the year or even something close to it. But, you know, he, he's hustling, he's making plays, and he's finding ways to contribute uh, even when he's not hitting threes. So I'm encouraged to see him becoming more of a functional player. The question is, can he continue this while in the starting lineup? And also, will he be able to continue it when he has to go back to coming off the bench? Because if there's one thing he hasn't been, it's consistent. Yeah, that, that's certainly been a big issue for him. And you know, early in the season, we had the Nick Timberlake worry scale. How worried were you about him possibly being able to have an impact? And to your point, it does seem like very slowly, but surely he's doing a little bit more. Bill Self made a funny comment about him scoring 13 against, against Texas Tech, basically saying, when you lose by 30, somebody's got to be the leading scorer. But I don't know. Do you have a little bit more confidence in Nick Timberlake now than maybe you did previously about being able to contribute? Or what more do you think you want to see from him to where you, you may have that confidence grow even more? I mean, I'd like to see him have like a couple more games like the Texas Tech game in an overall win for the team, for one thing. <laughs> but I don't know. I, 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 think, I think his discipline on defense needs to be a lot better, both in terms of committing fouls and in terms of switching. Um, that's what almost lost in the Baylor game. Uh, I, I think that's kind of the most obvious area for improvement because it, it's nice to see him, you know, driving to the basket at times, rebounding at times, making good passes at times even. Uh, all things that are not like the headline with Nick Timberlake, but he hasn't always shot well, so that's what he has to do. Especially if you are going to defer to your teammates, which basically all those bench guys have shown that they're going to do at, at whenever the opportunity presents itself, you need to defer in a way that leads to success. And so it's nice to see him making some hustle plays and whatnot. But, yeah, I, I think this, the defense, especially the switching, needs work. You mentioned earlier that the Big 12 title at this point seems – basically out of reach for Kansas. He'd probably have to go undefeated to finish out the schedule and need some help. And of course, with the game still at Baylor, not Houston on the schedule, it seems unlikely. In this scenario that maybe Kansas does drop another game here and where it really does seem like their chances of the Big 12 title are done, uh, would you consider you know, trying to limit the minutes of some of these starters, guys like Hunter Dickinson or even Kevin McCuller, Dewan Harris coming back from it, or Kevin McCuller coming back from injury and Dewan Harris? Is that something you would consider at this point, knowing that, hey, it sounds like this team is kind of focused on the NCAA tournament anyways, but I don't know. Would you do that, and do you think Bill Self would, would consider doing something like that? I would do that. I mean, I wouldn't curtail them to an insane degree, but to some extent, I think Bill Self has been doing that since the Kansas State game. I think after, uh, or, or at least, you know, after those games around that time, he kind of realized that he needed to change things, and, uh, you know, with what he, his comments about, 
having more specific shifts and, and finish lines for his players so they know like when they're going until. Um, I think that provides a neat opportunity for him to transition into curtailing those minutes somewhat. Um, you know, he's making more and more comments about, especially uh, on Hawk Talk yesterday, about like, you know, ultimately our goal is to be the best we can in March. We need to be whole in order to get there. So, yeah, I, I would not be surprised to see him adopt a health-first approach to some of those later games, particularly the, the home games where I think that KU has a much higher chance of winning, even if Kevin McCuller plays 32 instead of 37 or something. We're talking with Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. KU takes on Oklahoma on Saturday. It's another road game, but you would think probably the easiest road game that KU has left. Uh, what are you hoping to see from Kansas uh, coming up in Norman on Saturday? Um, well, I, I'm, I don't know. First thing that comes to mind is I'd like to see Johnny Furphy do a better job of defending Oklahoma's guard than he did the last time they played. That was kind of the game where he started getting taken off the dribble a lot. I, I think he has improved substantially since then. That was, of course, his first game back in the starting lineup. And uh, his second worst game as a starter behind the Kansas State one. So another kind of opportunity for him there. It'll also be a tough matchup for him on the other end because Oklahoma is the second best three-point defense team in the Big 12. I believe they're at like 29.6% allowed or something. So I don't know. Johnny Furphy comes to mind as a player to watch. Um, injuries are going to be big for Oklahoma as well. John Hughley missed yesterday's game with a knee injury, and uh, Rivaldo Suarez, who has come on strong in recent uh, games, I think he was averaging like 13 or so in the last five, um, hurt his ankle and apparently wasn't able to put any weight on it. So if he's missing, that could be a big loss for OU as well. So, yeah, KU not the only team dealing with injuries right now. He is Henry Green, side of the Lawrence Journal World. Henry, appreciate your time as always. Anything you specifically want people to be looking out for on uh, KSports.com right now? No, not this time around. I, I just want to say my best wishes for good health for all who are injured today in the city and just appalled to see violence like that. And, yeah, that's about it. Right. Henry, thanks so much for your time as always, and uh, stay safe, and uh, thanks for hopping on. All right. Thanks, Nick. I was Henry Greenside of Lawrence Turner World. Certainly want to echo his sentiment there at the end there about the uh, situation ongoing in Kansas City. We had a little bit of coverage for you earlier in the hour. Uh, we'll try to get some more updates possibly coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. We're going to be joined by Shreya Salata coming up in the 4 o'clock hour as well. Uh, we're going to have our Katie Milbag coming up and Kansas women's basketball back in action tonight. Also on our airwaves here on KWN. So be on the lookout for that. Tip off at 6.30, pregame beginning at 6.15. We'll take a timeout. Like we said, we might get to some more uh, updates on the uh, ongoing situation involving a shooting in Kansas City. That and more coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer, and uh, we are keeping a very close eye on the latest of what is unfolding at in uh, Kansas City right now, with uh, reports of uh, between 10 and 15 people injured at a shooting following the Chiefs Super Bowl parade. So, certainly a, a, a sad, sad situation that unfolded after what was supposed to be a, a, a very, very happy and celebratory day. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll continue to keep an eye on that here in the studio and, and bring updates as they uh, as they come along here this afternoon and and what a situation that that just uh, turned very tragic very quickly 
uh, down in Kansas City. So we'll be keeping an eye on that throughout the hour here. Uh, we're going to be talking with Shreya Slada of the Kansas City Star coming up at 440 and also going to get into some KU women's basketball talk here coming up in a little bit on the, on the show as well. In the 5 o'clock hour, we're going to get to some KU basketball heroes and villains. But uh, Right now, it is time for the KU mailbag here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. As always, thanks so much to everyone that submitted questions for the KU mailbag here. It is, as always, my favorite segment of the show here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. So thanks so much to everyone that did submit questions. First question comes from Sam. Good buddy, Sam. Sam says, will the Royals' new stadium, if built, make them less trash? Ah, <laughs> that, that's a good question. Uh, I think, so, okay, let's, let's, let's look at this a couple ways. On its face, a new stadium does not inherently make a team better or worse. Although, I guess in Major League Baseball, it can, depending on the, 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 the parameters of the stadium, right? Because you can have different sizes of ballparks. Obviously, Kauffman Stadium, one of the largest in the league. So I guess it would be curious, it would be interesting to see if if the plan is for the stadium to be a roughly same size, smaller stadium, whatever. That could actually, I guess, make a difference uh, in terms of the play of how things of how teams play in that stadium, in the new stadium uh, downtown. But yeah, the Kansas City Royals yesterday released renderings of what they hope will be a new stadium built uh, for the Royals downtown. The coolest part about it, I thought, was that the renderings featured a walkway that seemed to be built that would could take you directly from the stadium to run outside the T-Mobile Center, right across from like the Power and Light area, and vice versa. If you wanted to go back, you could, uh, or if you wanted to go to the stadium that way, you could as well. So that was pretty interesting. So uh, the, here's here's a couple things about the new stadium. If it'll make the Royals less trash. If uh, in Major League Baseball, obviously with not a like a hard salary cap, if the new stadium is generating a lot more money and a lot more fan excitement overall that could actually I think possibly lead to like increased attractiveness for Kansas City as a free agent signing as a free agent you know if you're a free agent looking at, at where you possibly want to sign that could be an increased attractiveness of uh, the, having a new stadium if the stadium is 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 doing well financially maybe perhaps that allows for the that makes the owners want to spend more money I know they talked about investing over a billion into the building the new stadium so if they have an opportunity to where they ha have more money that they want to spend, they could try that. Uh, so I, I do think there is, in some ways, a possibility that that this could actually make the rules a little bit less trash. Yes, uh, because there's different factors involved. Now, obviously, in the short term, until they actually build a stadium, probably not. But uh, it seems it. I don't know. It's it's a good, it's an interesting question. Certainly. Uh, in the short term, probably not. But again, you know, maybe if it makes it more attractive for Kansas City as a free agent destination, maybe if it means the owners are willing to spend more money, possibly if there's uh, fan excitement and whatnot. And you know, if it, if you know, I know in baseball maybe the the home crowd doesn't matter that much, but if there's better atmosphere for for Royals games, you know, if, if more Royals fans are are having a good time and enjoying and, and going to the game and supporting, then uh, perhaps that could, <laughs> I guess, that could maybe. Uh, help help the Royals as well. So we'll see. We'll see. The Royals, by the way, might not be trash. I don't know. We'll see. But I, I, I don't want to say, I want to say like they, maybe they might win 70, 75 games. We're going to start bringing on uh, David Lesky again from Inside the Crown starting next week. So we can ask him about that. Uh, as the uh, pitchers and catchers, I believe, reported uh, yesterday or today, actually, 
uh, for uh, to, to get ready for the season to start. So we're pretty close to the start of the season. So we'll be, I'm excited to have uh, David coming back on from inside the crown and check out his work for more on the Royals. We'll start having him on every Monday uh, as we do throughout the uh, Royal season. Next question comes from Aaron. NBA goals get raised to 12 foot and WNBA goals get lowered to eight foot. And they also switch the ball sizes. WNBA uses the NBA ball and NBA uses the WNBA ball, which is more entertaining. So this is interesting. Uh, in case you're wondering about the different sizes of the basketballs used. So in NBA, the NBA basketball is 29.5 inches in circumference. The WNBA uses a slightly smaller ball at 28.5 inches in circumference. So basically, slightly smaller ball, which you would think would be easier to handle, I guess, or easier to certainly easier to like palm and, and manipulate in that way. I think. Uh, if you are on the NBA side, I don't know if you, so this is an interesting question because if you make the gold 12 foot in the NBA, are there very many NBA players that could like still legitimately dunk on that? I don't know. I mean, I, I guess probably. Yeah, for sure. But you'd probably be eliminating some, some guys too, I think. Whereas if you make the NBA WNBA eight foot, that would probably make for a lot more dunking, even if the ball is a little bit bigger, I would think, in WNBA. So I am tempted to possibly say WNBA here because it could lead to you know, more dunks and more things like that. But in the NBA, I don't know. If the ball is smaller, does that make it easier to shoot? So then it, you just get you know, infinite raining threes in the NBA, possibly, if, if, they're, if it makes it easier to shoot. It's it's a it's an interesting question to say the least from Aaron. So thanks so much for the question. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Cause I I mean, I'm not a to be honest, I'm not like a huge NBA guy. I don't particularly follow the NBA like very, very closely. Uh so my biggest question here would be I guess my biggest question here would be uh, if the goal is twelve foot, can all or most NBA players would they still be able to dunk on that or not? If you're using a smaller ball, would be my question. Like, I don't know, 12 foot. That seems that seems pretty high to me. I mean, that seems that seems pretty high. So I'm not, I'm questioning whether or not you would still have a bunch of people being able to dunk on that, even with a smaller ball. Whereas I feel pretty confident that on an eight foot goal, potentially there'd be more WNBA players possibly that might be able to dunk. Maybe I don't know. Next question comes from Jeff. What is KU basketball's best path still to win the Big Title, Big 12 title at this point? Well, for starters, I think Kansas would certainly have to go undefeated to finish out their schedule, which would get them to 13 and 5. I think that I, I don't think there's really any scenario at this point where KU could not win out, not go 13 and 5, and not win the Big 12. So right now you look at the standings. You got Houston and Iowa State sitting both at eight and three. Then you have Baylor and Texas Tech at seven, each at seven and four right now. Now, of course, these are teams that have had that one week off that Kansas is going to have upcoming next week. So they still have that's why Kansas has one extra game played at this point compared to some of these other teams. So let's start with Houston. That's gonna be your biggest problem. And I kind of touched on this conversation last season with the fact that 
last season, you could look at the schedule of some of the other teams that were fighting with Kansas down the stretch, like a Texas, for instance, and you could point to a couple games and say, eh, you could probably talk yourself into them losing that game. Well, here is the remaining schedule that Houston has. They got Texas at home coming up on Saturday. They have Iowa State at home on Monday. So Saturday, Monday turnaround, but they're both at home. So unlike Kansas, they, they get Saturday, Monday at home instead of Saturday, Monday on the road. Then they go at Baylor following Saturday. Cincinnati at home, at Oklahoma, at UCF, and versus Kansas. They have three conference losses right now. You could maybe talk yourself into them losing at Baylor, but I doubt they're going to drop a game at home against Texas or Iowa State. Cincinnati at home probably won't drop that. And then you got at Oklahoma and at UCF, two of the weaker home field or home crowd or home court advantages, I should say. So it's just really hard to find a few, you know, multiple losses here for for Houston. Now, I guess in an ideal scenario, if you're talking about the best case for Kansas, you'd only need Houston to lose one. That'd give them four losses. And then if you're Kansas and you are able to go undefeated and you're 12-5 and heading in to take on a Houston team that at that point would be... 13 and four or yeah, 13 and four in the conference in that last game in Houston. And if you're Kansas and you're able to able to beat them in Houston, maybe sure. Then you look at Iowa state, a team that's also sitting at eight and three in the conference right now. Iowa state's got Texas tech at home coming up on Saturday, a game they probably should be able to win. Then they have that game at Houston, but then they get West Virginia at home, Oklahoma at home at UCF, BYU at home, and at Kansas State. So again, you run into that problem where if because the Houston the fact they go at Houston, it's a lose lose for Kansas, no matter who wins that game, right? I mean, because these are two teams that are both at eight and three in the conference. But if you want if you say Iowa State's gonna lose at on the road against Houston, are they really gonna lose at home to Texas Tech, West Virginia, Oklahoma? Probably not. Then their last three games at UCF, BYU, and at Kansas State. At Kansas State, obviously, is a Farmageddon game, and, and obviously you figure that game's going to have some extra juice to it considering what happened when Kansas State and Iowa State played in Ames, but it could be tough, right? It could be tough at that point. So, I mean, that maybe would be the path, and at that point, let's say things play out the way I just kind of talked about with Kansas, and you have Kansas and Houston and Iowa State all sitting at 13-5. and five. Then you'd have a, basically a three-way tie at the top of the conference. And then you look at Baylor. Baylor is the team that probably is going to be knocked out potentially regardless unless they get some big wins. They have, they do have Houston and Kansas coming up at home. The rest of their schedule is at West Virginia, at BYU. They do, I mean, this is actually, you look at Baylor. We've talked about Kansas having kind of a brutal Saturday, Monday game situation here. Well, Baylor, this is a little better because it's Saturday to Tuesday, but they go Saturday at West Virginia and Morgantown to Tuesday at BYU and Provo, Utah. That is that is tough. They get the extra day, Saturday to Tuesday, but still, that's a pretty brutal, pretty brutal, quick turnaround of two road games for for BYU or for uh, Baylor. Then they have Houston. They go at TCU. TCU beat them in Waco, by the way. Kansas at home, Texas at home, and at Texas Tech. So Baylor, they've got a pretty tough schedule down the stretch here. But yeah, I mean, like I said, it's it's a it's a prerequisite for Kansas that they have to go undefeated to finish out their schedule. 
which I just don't know how much confidence you can have in that being a possibility because of the fact that they are one and five on the road right now and two of their last three road games are at Baylor and at Houston. It just seems unlikely that they're going to be able to win one or even both of those, right? I mean, forget about trying to win both. It seems like it, it could be really difficult for KU just to win one of those games uh, between Houston and Baylor on the road. So, and that's and that and again, that's, I'm not trying to overlook the fact that Oklahoma, you know, that game's on the road as well for Kansas. So, uh, that's probably the best case scenario at this point for Kansas. They, it's a requirement that they go undefeated throughout the rest of the conference play, and they need some help certainly as well. This question, next question, comes from Derek. That's right, the Derek, Derek Johnson former host of the show. What is your favorite, least favorite thing about me not being there anymore? Well, my least favorite thing is easy. It's just the fact that I don't have anybody that I can yell at across from the across from the table here. That's an easy one. And uh, I don't have anybody that can reel me in it in case I go off the rails or in case I say something dumb, which, uh, which I probably already have just in the last two and a half days that I've been doing the show now on my own. So that's easy. That's by far my least favorite thing. My favorite thing is probably the fact that uh, I don't have you in here now lording over me the fact that you beat me in uh, in Pig the couple times we played. We have a mini basketball hoop that was set up in their studio. And uh, I think we played Pig two or three times and Derek won every time. And he would never, off the air, he was constantly reminding me about how he won in Pig. And, and then we tried like a contest to see who could make the most shots in a row and Derek won that also. Although, we rolled it out into our hallway here just outside. We've got a long hallway just outside our studio, like probably a 40-foot hallway, a straight hallway down outside our studio here. And I did make a shot on that. We we set up the basketball goal on on an office chair right in the doorway to the studio. And we started at the end of the hallway and we're throwing down shots. And uh, (laughs) I think I eventually did make one. You almost had to throw it like a baseball, but it didn't work because the little plastic inflatable basketballs they didn't they, they they didn't stay inflated very well so from that distance it was like you were throwing a knuckleball you had no idea where the where it was going to go when you threw it you know throwing it hard didn't mean that it was going to go straight or anything like that so uh yeah one of my my favorite thing is that i don't have to hear you constantly lording over the fat lording over the fact that that you beat me in that uh but yeah no most of the things that i most of my things are least favorite you know it's it's uh, the off-air banter in between segments that in some cases led to led to segments and in some cases uh was probably good that it wasn't on the air <laughs> making sure the mics were off in between segments uh yeah man i mean it's 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 tough i'm obviously very very happy for derek in his uh, future endeavors but uh yeah i think rcst certainly misses him at this point and uh like i said there are very few things i there i it's i most of the things that i have to say are that's my least favorite that i've about the fact that, uh, that that you're not here on the show anymore. So, but again, very very happy for Derek and what he's uh, done and moving on uh, with his with his uh, professional career. So, thanks so much to Derek for that question. Thanks so much to everyone for their mailbag questions on the show here today, as always. And remember, if you want to submit a question, you can submit it anytime via DMs on uh, Twitter on RCST thirteen twenty, and also hit us up via email at RCST thirteen twenty am at gmail.com. We also have a text line in case you want to hit us up during the show for any questions at 785-843-1321. If you hit up with a question, don't worry. We'll get to it on next week's KML Bag. We do this segment every week. It's my favorite segment of the week, as always. That's a KML Bag for this week here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to take a timeout. Coming up, well, on the other side, we'll talk a little KU women's basketball as they have a pretty big game tonight coming up at home at Allen Fieldhouse. 
Shreyas Lada of the Kansas City Star is going to join the show at 440. More KU basketball talk coming up in the 5 o'clock hour as well. We're also keeping an eye on the ongoing story uh, out of Kansas City with a tragic shooting that occurred earlier today uh, following the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade rally. Uh, so we are keeping an eye on that, and we'll bring you updates as necessary throughout the rest of this afternoon here on the show on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We'll take a timeout. Some K women's basketball discussion coming up on the other side. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Nick Springer from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting in a studio all day, my body feels great thanks to Massage Envy. Their total body stretch services can help you stay loose and limber and clear your mind and help your body. Their total body stretch services are completely customizable. All you have to do is sit back, relax, and breathe deep while they help you through the guided stretches. So if you've been dealing with aches and pains, be sure to check out Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Olathe. Almost half past four here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. We are keeping an eye on the ongoing coverage and story out of Kansas City after a uh, shooting took place following the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade earlier this afternoon. We will be possibly bringing you updates on that. Sounds like uh, between 10 and 15 injured right now and uh, one person possibly reported as dead at this point, uh, according to uh, the latest from KCTV5 and and, uh, KSHB in Kansas City. So we will be uh, keeping an eye on that and bringing you more up-to-date coverage if necessary throughout the show here. We're going to be joined by Shreyas Lada of the Kansas City Star coming up in about uh, a little over a little under 15 minutes from right now to talk more about KU basketball after their loss against Texas Tech on Monday. We'll also have more KU basketball talk coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. But uh, right now, the Kansas women's basketball team, they have a big game coming up tonight at Allen Fieldhouse with uh, pregame coverage beginning at 6.15 and tip-off at 6.30. You'll be able to hear that game right here on KLWN after the show tonight. Kansas, they are on a three-game winning streak right now uh, uh, after uh, going 10-10 and with a loss against Oklahoma. They've really bounced back, and we kind of talked about for Kansas, they had this five-game ske- this five-game stretch coming up for them that seemed very, very doable to win four or five of those games. Well, they've gone 3-0 and so far, so they're sitting at 6-6 six and six overall in the Big 12. And this is a team, obviously, that had very high expectations coming into the season and expected to finish in the top two or three of the Big 12 and make the NCAA tournament. Well, right now, ESPN's latest uh, bracketology updated this morning for the NCAA Women's Tournament has Kansas as the fourth team out right now uh, on the bubble. So they are very much right there on the bubble. And this is a game tonight coming up against the Cincinnati squad that is 12-11 and 11 and 4-8 and eight in the Big 12. So this should be another good opportunity for Kansas to, to keep the momentum going and pick up another win. And then after that for Kansas... They have another game coming up later on uh, that should be pretty winnable for them. As I said, it was kind of this five-game stretch where they're playing five teams that were all under 500. Their next game is uh, at BYU coming up on Saturday in Provo. So if Kansas is able to win that game and win tonight against Cincinnati, that would put them at 15-10. and 10. Here are their last four games after, this BYU, after the BYU game on Saturday. At Baylor, Kansas State at home, at UCF, and Oklahoma at home. UCF is a team that is second to last in the conference at three and ten. They're above TCU, a team who literally had to forfeit two conference games. So they might they might actually be in last if that wasn't the case. So they are three and ten in the conference. So for Kansas, you look at those last four games. You go against UCF, a team that's three and ten. But think about those other three matchups: 
Those other three matchups are against Baylor, who is sitting at 7-5 and five in the conference, a team that you beat at Allen Fieldhouse earlier this season pretty easily. Then you play Kansas State, a top-10 team who uh, was without their star, Ioka Lee, when Kansas played them in Manhattan, but Kansas still couldn't get the win against Kansas State. You figure she will be back for that game against Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse coming up on uh, February 25th. And then that game against Oklahoma to end conference to end conference play and regular season play. Oklahoma, by the way, sitting in first place in the Big 12 at 11 and 1. Kansas played them tight on the road, though, in Norman and lost by just five. Uh, going back to that game on January 27th. So if you look for if you look at the Jayhawks, as I said, they are fourth out on the bubble right now. They are in the first four out, number four on the first four out uh, on the latest ESPN bracketology. But they have a winnable game tonight against Cincinnati. Another winnable game against BYU on the road. That could get them to 15-10. and 10. And then you look at that last four-game stretch. Between that Baylor game on the road, Kansas State, and Oklahoma, you would figure Kansas needs to win at least one of those games, maybe two, and potentially that could push them into the NCAA tournament. I mean, you think about what a top-10 win would do, either against Kansas State or Oklahoma, and another win against Baylor would be huge as well, especially on the road. So... Kansas could be setting themselves up for a position to make a push for the NCAA tournament if they could win a couple of those uh, big games coming up down the stretch. And then, of course, maybe they could pick up a couple extra wins in the Big 12 tournament as well. So they've been building momentum. As I said, they're on a three-game winning streak after that loss against Oklahoma sent them down to 10-10. and But they, uh, they've been building momentum. They're 3-0 and on a three-game win streak. Those three wins came against BYU by 14 in Lawrence. Then they went down to TCU and won on the road, and then they got a win against Houston by 17 uh, last week. They get Cincinnati here at home tonight, and then BYU on the road, and then again, they can win one of those three games at Baylor, Kansas City, or Oklahoma. Those would be the three key games for Kansas. If they can win one or even two of those games, they might be in a much much more better position to make the NCAA tournament, because right now, it's sitting at 13-10 and 10 and 6-6 six and six in the Big 12. They are in the first four out. Iowa State, by the way, is also in the first four out. So you got two Big 12 teams that are sitting squarely on the bubble and right now on the wrong side of the bubble, uh, according to ESPN's latest uh, women's basketball bracketology. So it would be certainly, I think, given how last season played out, obviously winning the WNIT, it, it, in, in a lot of ways you were able to end the season on a positive, but the fact that you win the WNIT, then you have four of your five starters return from last season's team, plus you add in freshman superstar Samaya Nichols, this was a team that had very high expectations, and it's been a bumpy road, but they ha- they are in position now, potentially, to still make the NCAA tournament, and at this point, that's the best outcome they could ask for. Just get back to the NCAA tournament, and maybe you can get hot in the tournament and possibly go from there. But uh, they got to certainly keep their winning ways going. And again, a winnable game coming up tonight against Cincinnati with uh, pregame coverage beginning at 6.15 for a 6.30 tip-off at Allen Fieldhouse for Kansas and Cincinnati. We'll take a time out here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. When we come back, we'll be joined by Shreya Salata of the Kansas City Star to talk KU basketball. More KU basketball talk coming up in the 5 o'clock hour as well. We are still keeping an eye on that ongoing story as well uh, out of Kansas City with the uh, shooting that occurred at the end of the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade, bringing you any important updates coming up on that as well. So we'll take a time out. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer, and right now we are joined by Shreya Slada of the Kansas City Star. You can check out all of his great work covering Kansas on the football and basketball side at uh, KansasCity.com. 
Shreyas, uh, after that loss against Texas Tech uh, on Monday, did you get the sense that was it, it was the type of game where there was nothing Kansas could do and it was just one of those nights? Or, or do you feel like maybe that's kind of how things played out? What were your biggest takeaways from the game? Uh, I mean, to be honest with you, I expected that game to be a loss for Kansas just being shorthanded, playing a, a tough team on the road like Texas Tech. I didn't expect it to be a 29-point game. So, you know, <laughs> I think that was a surprise even to me. I didn't expect... Uh, Kansas's big three uh, outside of McCullough to shoot five of 30 uh, in Dickinson, Harris, and uh, KJ. You just don't see that very often. Um, it was one of those games that I think Kansas really never got into it. I mean, they kept it semi-close in the first half, which was surprising, but I mean, you know, they had a better three-point defense in the second half. I mean, I think Texas Tech only shot like two of 12 or whatever in the second half after making eight three-pointers in the first half, but um, it was just a game that Kansas was never really in I felt like, um, I mean, the closest they got, I really was, was at around halftime. And uh, it was one of those games that they probably want to just sit back and wash away. Um, and, you know, if there's a positive you can take out of it, it's Furphy continues to look good when he's not sick. He was sick before the K-State game. Um, and, you know, Nick Timberlake has put together two decently good offensive games, which is a big positive, I think. Yeah, when you talk about Johnny Furphy, and, you know, I think some people were quick to say, well, maybe he's hit a freshman wall, but it does sound like maybe he was dealing with sickness and whatnot. You, you feel pretty confident that he can still be a guy that KU can rely on in that fifth starting spot? I think so. I think the way they're defending him is different. He's not getting as many open three-pointers, so they're running him off the line. But he's been doing a good job of driving, getting uh, fouls. I think, you know, he's just a really good basketball player. He makes winning basketball plays. I think in a lot of ways, him and Grady were similar in that sense of like, you know, when their shot isn't falling, they can add some other stuff. But I think Johnny's even better uh, on that end of just being a more well-rounded player than Grady was. Obviously, I think Grady was a little bit of a better scorer. Um, but I think he's just been such a net positive for this KU team that desperately needed a fifth starter that can, you know, score and can, you know, shoot um, and stuff like that and space the floor. Uh, you know, I think he's just getting better and better each game. I feel like the game is starting to slow down for him on the defensive end. You know, I think against Baylor, he had six steals. Um, you know, there are some instances where he makes the mistakes, but I feel like a lot of them are just freshman mistakes, you know? Yeah, and you, you look at Texas Tech on the road again for Kansas. It's now second straight week where they've won a, 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 an emotional game at home and then go on the road on Monday and fall. I guess for, for you in that game against in Lubbock, what, what was that atmosphere like? What was that energy like from that crowd that you think maybe possibly helped Texas Tech in that game? Yeah, I mean, it was interesting because it wasn't super loud in warm-ups. I feel like they were hoping that McCuller was playing so they could boom heavily, but it got so loud. You know, when they went on a little bit of a run, they were very into the game. Um, you know, it was a tough crowd for, I think, for Kansas in the sense, you know, like you don't see a lot of crowds that good uh, outside of Allen Fieldhouse, at least in my tenure. Um, there's been a couple. Ames is another one uh, where the, the crowd is so tough to play at. But, you know, I, I just came away really impressed with the Texas Tech crowd and their ability to really, you know, be kind of rowdy like I'd heard they would be. Um, you know, I think last year they played in December, so there weren't as many students as this time and they weren't as quite as good last year. But um, it's just really interesting to see uh, how much of an effect. I mean, you know, they were having the FKU chance. They were having the overrated chance. They waved Bill Self goodbye at the ejection. I think it was one of those things where they were, you know, pretty much loud throughout because Texas Tech was basically uh, on top of Kansas. is like, you know, throat almost like it was almost 100% like very much pushing Kansas the entire game. Yeah, you mentioned obviously Kevin McCuller did not end up playing for Texas Tech in that game. And 
you know, earlier in the season we'd had some discussions about maybe who was the most important player for this Kansas team to have success. With no Kevin McCullough over the past, you know, couple games, and he's missed a few games now, do you think maybe you could make the case with without him out there that he's the most important player now because we've seen Kansas without him, or would you say maybe it's Hunter Dickinson, Dewan Harris? Who would you say you think is the most important player still for this team if they want to go and make a deep run? Uh, that's so tough. I want to say I, I think it could make a case for Kevin. I think it's important, you know, like he's very important out there because he makes a lot of tough shots. He's a, a good offensive option, often, uh, you know, after Hunter, and he's the best player on the team, in my opinion. Uh, the thing is, I don't think anyone can do what Hunter does as well as uh, on this team or even come close to replicating. Like, you can get a guy like Nick Timberlake and El Marco to kind of put together some of what Kevin does on the offensive end. Obviously, defensively, they're not as good. But Hunter is a magnet for easy post points that, you know, Parker Braun or KJ Adams can't do, uh, you know. And I think, like, you look and you blink, and this is one of the things that I, I've noticed with Hunter is, like, you know, he is one of the most quiet, like, double-double players I've ever seen in my, like, basketball life. Like, you'll blink and he has 20 and 15. You'll be like, it doesn't feel like he has 20 and 15, but he has 20 and 15. And um, for a team that struggles on the rebounding, you know, boards as much as they do, Hunter is such a, a big key, you know, helping alleviate that a little bit and make them better than they would be. Because I think without Hunter, they'd be really, really bad on the boards. Um, and... uh you know, I, th- I would say I think his absence is still the biggest thing. I mean, I, I think we've seen, uh, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but he's not jumping quite as high. I haven't seen, I can't remember the last time he dunked a basketball. You know, I think the, the knee bruise thing for him has been a slight issue as well, even if it hasn't been uh, as bad as what Kevin has been. <laughs> yeah, I think with, with Hunter Dickinson, the conversation so interesting, right? Because to your point, you know, he's he's been one of the most efficient players for Kansas and he's been really good but obviously we've seen him in these last three games specifically really drop off in efficiency and and in this game against Texas Tech on Monday it was not only his worst game for Kansas it was actually one of the worst games of his career when you look at his numbers going back to Michigan and I, I thought he seemed particularly flustered post game I guess uh, kind of what, what was your reaction to maybe how he was post game or, or do, you, do you think maybe he can get things turned around back to what we're used to seeing him like you were talking about? a little frustrated i mean i asked him about three-point shooting because i mean kansas has done a pretty bad job on the road especially in defending three-point shot and he was basically well this is like you know that's how teams play kansas or whatever and i think you could sense the frustration because i don't think things have been as easy as he anticipated or as ku anticipated it would be you know everyone thought this team would be a consensus preseason number one a team that would roll through conference play not roll through conference play but roll through you know, any challenges, had so much talent, and it just hasn't been that. And I think it's a little bit of a frustration point for Hunter because he feels like he can do more and he can certainly be better than he has the last couple of games. Uh, so I think he's been frustrated with his own play. I'm sure the lack of legs underneath him has not been great either. I'm sure he's tired. You can see it a little bit. He's been playing a heavy minute load, you know, the last, uh, you know, really since conference play started. And I think it's taken a little bit of a, you know, toll on him, you know, and you throw in the Nebrews thing that he was already dealing with before, it, it just seems like it's hard for him to be at his best with everything going on right now for Kansas men's basketball. Yeah, and, and to your point on that, in your eyes right now for Kansas, in order to get things kind of turned around and get some positive momentum back, is it as simple as just getting extra rest? They're going to have some time here before Oklahoma, and then they have the whole week until the Texas game. Is it as simple as that, or, or what else do you think they maybe need to do to try to kind of recapture some of the rhythm they had maybe earlier in the season? 
Uh, the rest thing will be huge. Um, I think we're getting to a point where if they lose another game, it's time to start just letting guys, you know, rest up for Big 12 from the March time. Uh, you know, you want to win out at home, but I don't anticipate they're going to win, uh, like, on the road every game. So I think, you know, we're, we're at five losses right now. Last year's team had five losses uh, to end the year in conference play. They were 13-5. and five. I really don't think this year's team is going to be um, – able to string together eight straight wins or whatever uh, to finish the season and, and, you know, come out uh, as a conference winner. So you're getting to a point where you might still have to make a decision that, hey, does Kevin or does Dewan or does Hunter need to rest a little more just so we can be ready for March? Um, I think that's there. On top of that, you know, uh, they've got to play better defense. I think their defense has not been up to the caliber they can play and that we've seen at times. Uh, that is definitely an issue. Um, I think that can be fixed with a little bit of rest and that can be fixed with, uh, just, you know, a little more focus, uh, rebounding is another big thing, but I mean, like I've mentioned it before. I think that's the biggest problem with this KU team. It just goes back to three point shooting both ways. They don't shoot enough threes at a high enough rate where I feel confident that they won't be outshot come March to win six straight games. Like obviously it's going to come down to matchups, but we've noticed that I, I'm sure you've noticed that like, you know, it's hard to win basketball games when you make two or three or four three-pointers and the other team makes eight or nine or ten or even 14, you know. Um, it's No matter how good you are, I think, efficiently, offensively, you know, inside, it's just a numbers thing at the end of the day. And uh, I don't think they're going to be able to solve that whatsoever. I mean, obviously, Furphy has alleviated that concern slightly, but they're still like 320th or something like that, or 3 to 30th in three-point rate, which is the – the lowest ever in the Belsoff era by over like 180 spots, which is kind of nuts. Yeah. Um, so, no, but it's just, I think it's just wild, you know, because I mean, like, I don't know how you solve that issue, but I think they can, you know, fix the defense and get a little better on that end. Um, and effort wise, rebounding, those are the two things that you can solve alongside rest. Yeah, to your point on, on the Big 12 title race discussion, I, I think it's such an interesting discussion to have because. Uh, on one hand, I, I almost have to agree with you that, you know, hey, if, if Kansas is not going to be in the Big 12 title contention, yeah, maybe you do st- try to s- start to limit some of these guys' minutes down the stretch so you have them fresh for March. But on the other hand, we know Bill Self, right? And that's not really how he rolls. So I just, I almost have to wonder, like, even if Kansas does drop another game and it looks like they're not going to take on the Big 12 title, is Bill Self going to be the type of coach that's going to accept that and, re- and start resting guys? Or is it still going to be, hey, we're trying to win every game we play? be a little surprised if he started resting guys but i mean you know i feel like the entire situation with kevin right now has been interesting to watch from afar you know like i've had people in nba draft circles text me and ask me is kevin's knee okay and you know i think it's been a little bit of a weird frustration point for everybody involved just because obviously he wants to be out there playing you know basketball obviously bill wants him out there but he also has to be cautious about everything going on with um you know, his knee and how it affects the NBA draft stuff. Um, that's another thing. I mean, I think he could be very much like, I would, I would be a little surprised if Bill starts resting people, but like if they drop two more games, you know, relatively soon, I wouldn't be surprised if he gives DeWan a rest day or gives Hunter some limited minutes here and there, because honestly, there's no point in chasing after a big 12 title, in my opinion, when, you know, at the end of the day, the best chance for you to make a run is having your team fully healthy and ready to go, uh, come NCAA tournament time. Yeah, do, do you get the sense that this team is just maybe a team that's not necessarily built for the regular season, but might be potentially built better for the tournament? Do you, do you think that's a possibility? 
so. I mean, I think the you know the rotation shortened a little bit in the NCAA tournament. I think that's big. Um, I think you have a little bit longer halftime. You have some more time in between games after the first and second game. You know, I think they're very much if they are you know like built for a run, it's going to happen in the NCAA tournament. You know, obviously it's going to come down to matchups, but I think that's their best chance is being fully healthy, having their starting five healthy, and having a guy like Nick or El Marco figure out on the offensive end to give them a little bit of supplementary offense off the bench. You know, Nick has had two straight offensive games. Let's see if he can make it three straight on Saturday. Um, And I think that would be really, really key. I think that's their best chance of winning six straight uh, against the field. Uh, And and right now, you know, obviously uh, Kansas fans are a little bit unhappy with the way the team has played and this and that and yada, yada. And I get it. But I also think a lot of it is it's just unfortunate right now because it's hard to win on the road in this league. We've, you know, there isn't, I think, I think there's only one team with above 500 on the road record. And, you know, we knew this Kansas team didn't have a ton of depth going into the season. Now you're dealing with guys like Jamar McDowell who doesn't play a ton of minutes and, you know, Kevin McCullough who does start for them out. You make a rotation that's already short, even shorter. You know, now we're down to seven guys and you have guys who are playing on, you know, bum knees like Hunter, you know, a back like Dewan, you know, like those things all add up over time and you can see it in their energy level on defense and even offense. Um, and it's tough. I mean, it's tough to win Saturday and then go to wherever you have to go to on Monday and win that game. So I wasn't exactly surprised, but at least the good thing for KU basketball is they have some extended rest after this game on Saturday. And on top of that, they also can go – you know, like they don't have any Saturday to Monday games the rest of the season. Yeah, I think that definitely probably helps with them, right? I mean, the fact that you look these past two weeks with the Saturday Mondays, clearly it's been it's been tough for them on top of the fact that you highlighted, you know, the injury to Kevin and, and Jamar McDowell seemingly sick as well. Uh, you mentioned Nick Timberlake there. And, you know, Nick Timberlake had maybe one of the most whirlwind 48 hours we've seen, right? I mean, you go back to the <laughs> Baylor game. He plays really pretty well, and then in the last minute or two, things kind of unravel a little bit for him. You have Bill Self's comments after the game. But uh, what did you think it said about Bill Self that he went back to Nick Timberlake as a starter against Texas Tech? I almost wondered on Monday if El Marco Jackson wouldn't get the start as a message toward Timberlake. But what do you think it said about his trust or his maybe uh, respect for Nick Timberlake to, to kind of go back to him after kind of the, I guess, debacle, for lack of a better term, that happened on Saturday at the end of the game? Well, I think it says that he doesn't trust El Marco Jackson enough on the offensive end. I don't think it's anything that's Nick Timberlake or anything. But, you know, at this point, you just got to hope a guy who's been here in college for five, six years is going to be better than the guy like who's a freshman and is still very much figuring things out. I've never seen Bill that pissed off about a situation. I mean, Gary directly asked Bill, hey, what do you think about Nick Timberlake's performance? And he basically gave a non-answer. That was not a good non-answer for Nick Timberlake. And I think Nick... You know, from what I heard and, you know, I saw it seemed like he was taking it, you know, just his gameplay in the last 30 seconds hard because he had a pretty decent game by his standards. You know, he looked like he did some good stuff offensively. And then the last 30 seconds were a disaster. And then, you know, obviously Bill gives him another chance against Texas Tech and he plays well. But I don't know if you heard the, the post-game radio comments. And he basically was like, yeah, it's great that Johnny and Nick scored some points, but, you know, we don't take much stock into that. It, it's a little bit of a, I feel like, tough love thing, you know, where yeah. he obviously knows – that Nick Timberlake could give them offense, but can he be good enough defensively where they're not, you know, conceding a lot of buckets? Uh, and I think he has high expectations for Nick, even if he likes him as a person on and off the court. Yeah, on, on Hawk Talk, Bill Self last night kind of said the same thing of, you know, hey, even when you get beat by 30, somebody's got to lead the team in scoring, but that doesn't mean, that doesn't really mean much, you know. 
uh, which I thought was kind of a funny comment too. But uh, back to back to Bill Self real quick on uh, just one final thought here on uh, the in the game against Texas Tech, he has his ejection and makes some comments about that after the game. What was your reaction to how that unfolded? It seemed like he was unhappy with the way they were calling him, uh, like particularly with Hunter Dickinson, and he gets ejected. His first ejection ever at Kansas. What was your reaction to that, and maybe what he said after the game about that? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I get it. He was probably frustrated. I saw him being frustrated throughout the game. Like, you know, Bill is usually pretty energetic and standing on the sidelines, moving up and down. But I think midway through the second half, and I wrote about it as my lead, is like, you know, he was sitting on the bench, and he just kind of had his head in his hands. I think he was very frustrated with what he's watching the court. So obviously when, you know, Hunter gets called for an offensive foul that he feels like wasn't an offensive foul, I wasn't exactly surprised that he was a little more exasperated than he might have been usually. Um, and I mean, like he didn't use, he said he didn't use any curse words and, he, you know, didn't say anything, but he, I think he said a magic word. I don't know what the magic word was. It was like you or whatever. Um, I presume it would have been that. But, you know, I think it, was an interesting thing where I felt like it was just a frustration point of everything going on in that game and just with the way the team has been playing lately, boiling over into a moment where he gets ejected. I mean, it's his first ever ejection in a, as a Kansas coach, and the last time he got ejected was back in 1999, you know, so when he was coaching at Tulsa. So I definitely think, you know, he's been a little frustrated with officiating. I mean, he mentioned it, you know, it's it's been a little too physical, uh, Big 12-wise, and uh he was asked if he talked about that with other coaches or whatever. And he was like, I basically don't be or moan, you know, about things like that. So I think he's been thinking the physicality in the big 12 this year has been a little too much. And he got the chance to talk about it after the game. Kansas will look to bounce back against Oklahoma on Saturday afternoon. You'll be able to hear that game out here on KLWN. And you can check out all of the coverage of all on that uh, from Shreyas Lada at the Kansas city star. Shreyas, appreciate your time so much. Thanks so much for hopping on today. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. That was Shreyas Lada of the Kansas City Star joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Thanks so much to Shreyas for joining us today. Two hours down, one to go here on the show. More KU Basketball Talk coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. And don't forget, you can listen to the KU Women's Basketball Game tonight at 6.30 against Cincinnati. Premium coverage will start at 6.15. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Continuing to keep an eye on the latest updates from the tragic shooting that occurred at the end of the Chiefs Super Bowl parade today in Kansas City. Certainly thoughts go out to uh, all involved there. And and, uh, latest reports we get is uh, double-digit people injured, and it seems like one person may have been uh, killed tragically in that shooting. So... Uh, please stay safe out there and maybe hug your hug, hug your loved ones a little bit tighter uh, tonight as uh, hopefully we get more uh, updates and, and details on, on what exactly transpired there uh, as we'll, uh, and we'll try to pass along anything here the next hour of the show if, if, if it feels pertinent uh, at this point. So we'll be keeping an eye on that. All right, let's get to our KU basketball heroes and villains from the KU-Texas Tech game. Start with the heroes, although... This might be a segment more devoted to the villains. Uh, so offensive heroes for Kansas in the game. There's two that really stick out, and that would be one Nick Timberlake and one Johnny Furphy. Timberlake goes 5 of 7 from the floor in the game. 2 of 4 from 3. Snag 3 rebounds, and uh, overall hit a couple threes in the game. Did some nice things, got 13 points. And again, I question whether or not he would even start in the game 
uh, f- after what happened on Saturday, Bill Self went with him for the start, heard from Trey Salada and uh, Henry Greenstein kind of giving their takes on that. And maybe it was less about showing uh, some some confidence in Timberlake and possibly just a lack of faith in uh, El Marco Jackson as a potential starter. But Timberlake, in 29 minutes, did score 13 points uh, for KU. And Johnny Furphy was able to finally bounce back a little bit, hit a three. He played uh, 32 minutes, went four of eight from the floor, one of three from three, and also scored 13 points in the game for Kansas. Also had seven rebounds, did Furphy. And for Furphy, obviously, he his numbers had really dipped uh, in the last two games between K-State and Baylor, and it sounds like he was maybe dealing with a bit of a sickness. That could have affected him, but he went two of seven from the floor and 0 of four from three against K-State, and then two of eight from the floor against Baylor and 0 of six from three against Baylor. So it was nice to see him bounce back and have a, a better showing uh, against Texas Tech, and hopefully he's feeling better and can get things rolling. Because you think about K-State and Baylor, those were probably two of his worst offensive performances since he started in the starting lineup going back to the Oklahoma game. So he'd scored in double figures in six straight games prior to that four-point performance against Kansas State. Still managed to put up 11 against Baylor thanks to a 7-for-7 effort on the free-throw line. And he was 4-for-4 four four at the line again uh, against Texas Tech on Monday. So the free-throw shooting still good for Furphy. But nice to see him hit a three as well, right? I mean, had a lot of conversation about Hunter Dickinson and KU's two-point efficiency, KU's three-point defense. And, you know, part of that has to do with the fact that KU's three-point offense has been inconsistent to bad uh, throughout the most of the season. But if Furphy can get things going, if Timberlake can be somebody you can look to to make a couple threes in a game, that would obviously be a huge boost. So those are only the two really real offensive heroes of the game. I mean, you could maybe throw Marco Jackson in there too if you wanted to as he finished the game with seven points on three to five from the floor. Didn't hit a three though. But I mean, it's been it's been talked about quite a bit already this week. KJ Adams, Hunter Dickinson, and Dewan Harris combined to go five of 30. Uh, Hunter Dickinson, two of 12. It's one of his worst shooting performances, not just of his time at Kansas, but of his entire career. KJ Adams also has been a guy who's been so effective and reliable Seems pretty rare that he's going to go one for ten again. And then, of course, Dewan Harris going just two of eight, but maybe he gets a pass for playing on, on a bad ankle and being put in some tough tough spots late in shot clock situations for Kansas. But this is obviously an offense that uh, is missing Kevin McCuller, and we'll see if he can get back uh, against Oklahoma. Bill Self had said that if Kevin can't practice prior to Saturday, then he won't play. So I guess that'll be the big question is to find out if he's able to, to practice at some point and maybe feel confident enough that he'll be able to play against Oklahoma on Saturday. Otherwise, you'll need probably, especially your big three, K.J. Hunter Dickinson and Dewan Harris, to have a much more efficient evening than what they had against, or I guess afternoon, than what they had against uh, Texas Tech. So Timberlake and Furfia, I guess, are the uh, offensive heroes. On the defensive side of the ball for KU, kind of the same story. I mean, a poor start certainly defensively for KU overall with uh, Texas Tech hitting seven of their first eight threes. Texas Tech shoots 49% from the floor in total. They also out-rebounded Kansas pretty badly as well. When you look at the steal numbers for Kansas, El Marco ends with two steals. Maybe that could be a little bit positive for him uh, overall on defense. One steal for Dewan, one for Hunter Dickinson on the stat sheet officially. Uh, in terms of blocks, might have to shout out my guy Dylan Wilhite. Although, or not Dylan Wilhite, uh, Wilder Evers. Sorry, Wilder. I was looking at the box score. I was like Dylan Wilhite. It was Wilder Evers. 
who got that block. He, he wasn't credited with it, though. Parker Brown was credited with a block. So was Furphy and Harris. But, uh, yeah, so not much to speak of, really, on the defensive end either in terms of defensive heroes for, for Kansas. So why don't we just get to the fun part or the not-so-fun part, which is the villains of the game. Boy, there was a lot of villains. I think you got to start with Darian Williams. Darian Williams for Texas Tech. Goes 12 of 12 from the floor, 4-4 from three. Again, this is a guy who had not made more than six shots in a game all season. He doubles that in this game against Kansas and a 4-4 from three as well. Williams also had 11 rebounds, so he was really just pretty dominant in all aspects of the game uh, for Texas Tech. Huge game for him, 30 points. So he's definitely uh, number one on the list of villains. Uh, Warren Washington also played a, a really strong game for Texas Tech, 5-7 of seven from the floor. He finished with 11 points, and he was uh, pretty effective against Hunter Dickinson as well. So those two guys, and, and Bill Self kind of talked about it, those two guys, you know, he, he basically said he felt like, hey, you know, we didn't, we didn't defend that poorly against the other six, seven guys that Texas Tech played. But uh, those two, Williams and Washington, really, really ate KU's lunch and went a combined 17 of 19 from the floor. So it was really those two guys. Those were definitely the top two villains of the game. Uh, you could toss out the officials as well. The uh, officiating, they end up ejecting Bill Self, which has been which we've talked about uh, quite a bit as well and what that meant. And Bill Self stating that he was not trying to get ejected, but uh, that he was not trying to get ejected, but that he did end up uh, getting getting tossed out. He said he claimed to use a magic word. And that really opens up a Pandora's box of possibilities as to what magic word or words possibly could have been used there for uh, for Bill Self to get ejected. But you can throw the officials on there for sure. The officials as uh, as as a villain as well in this game. And uh, the other one that I think is a pretty fair villain to get to the crowd. I think the crowd was a pretty big villain throughout the game. Uh, Shreya Salata mentioned how they were kind of subdued early. And I thought this is kind of funny, actually. I guess evidently maybe the crowd wasn't aware. They didn't they didn't they didn't realize that Kevin was was possibly not going to play, and then it turned out that he was not going to play in the game because they did they seemed a bit disheartened at first about the fact that uh, Kevin McCuller was not playing. And then that event and then as the game progressed and things went kind of sour for KU. You had the uh, various chants that they were chanting, starting with uh, a certain chant that, sh- that shall not be repeated here, followed by uh, overrated chants, which uh, obviously KU fans had their own kind of dust up with overrated chants after KU students chanted that against Houston when KU beat them at home. Here, Texas Tech chants overrated to KU. And then you got the uh, what was the funniest chance, which was the We Want Kevin chants. So if there was any question... If there was any doubt about uh, how Texas Tech fans or how how they felt about Kevin McCuller leaving KU, I think that pretty much answers that question, which is so interesting because I think largely KU fans, generally speaking, if a player transfers out of the program, they are usually wanting the best for that player. I mean, even look back to like with Ernest Uday making his return down Fieldhouse for TCU, mostly cheers. It's pretty much the same deal with Bryce Thompson. I think, honestly, I wonder if some KU fans have just forgotten that Bryce Thompson started his career at KU at this point because he's been at Oklahoma State for a while uh, and didn't. And his career at KU was short, short-lived, obviously. But, but yeah, I think generally KU fans are are feeling 
pretty positively toward toward opposing team, opposing players that that are returning after transferring out of KU, but uh, certainly not the case for uh, Texas Tech fans with the uh, we want Kevin Chance. So they definitely the crowd definitely might be the biggest villain of the game to be honest. Uh, with the, with those chants and with the other chants they were chanting towards uh, towards KU, but KU in the end falls seventy nine to fifty against Texas Tech on Monday night, getting some time to recover as they look forward to Oklahoma coming up on Saturday. By the way, you'll be able to hear that Oklahoma game right here on KLWN with pregame coverage starting at one uh, thirty, tip off at three o'clock for KU and Oklahoma. Another road game for the Jayhawks. We'll see if they can bounce back, and maybe that's another villain you can add to this list. Is just uh, road environments in general, or playing away from Allen Fieldhouse, I guess, would be the the villain you'd want to add to this list. Uh, playing away from Allen Fieldhouse and just not <laughs> not performing up to snuff uh, on the road, as that has been a struggle, obviously, as well for Kansas uh, so far in conference play. Just one and five. So just playing on the road in general, I guess, uh, gets a villain tag here, also. So uh, I think between Darian Williams and the crowd, got to be the top two villains of the game. You would think for Kansas, but they lose 79-50 against Texas Tech. So that's our KU basketball heroes and villains. And we are still keeping an eye on the ongoing coverage here in the studio of the uh, latest happening from Kansas City after a tragic situation at the end of the Super Bowl parade. Uh, going to get to, uh, in our next segment, we're going to get to some Chiefs audio, I think, from before that. Uh, still, we got to hear a little bit of the celebration from Mahomes and from some of the other players and, and Andy Reid as well. So... I did kind of want to get to that just to just to have a moment here to 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 remember you know what what the day was supposed to be about beforehand. So uh, have some of that audio that I think we will probably get to coming up next here on the show. But we are uh, keeping in keeping in mind and keeping in light of the uh, the tragedy that have occurred following uh, the the Super Bowl rally and parade here uh, today in Kansas City. So certainly thoughts and prayers uh, go out to everyone involved in that, and and uh, hopefully we uh, learn more about what's going on there. So we'll get to that coming up in our next segment. Don't forget. After the show tonight, you'll be able to hear KU women's basketball on the airwaves here on KLWN with uh, pregame coverage starting at 6.15 for a 6.30 tip-off between Kansas and Cincinnati right here on KLWN. Our sports schedule for the rest of the week, High School Sports Weekly, we'll have tomorrow night after the show here from 6 to 7 at Mama's Tamale Shop in Lawrence. And on Friday night, very excited to have the City Showdown, Lawrence and Free State. We'll be locking horns on the basketball court. We'll bring that City Showdown coverage to you of the, both the girls' and the boys' games coming up on Friday night as well. We'll take a time out here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening to RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it here on the podcast side here on the Best of RCST podcast. Thanks so much for listening in. And, of course, if you do want to hear the full show, you can listen every day, 3 to 6, Monday through Friday, for Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You are only daily KU-centric sports radio show that you'll find. Every day from 3 to 6 on KLWN. Be sure to leave us a five-star rating and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Thanks so much for listening to the Best of RCSD Podcasts presented by Massage Envy. You can also find us on KUSports.com as well. Be sure to check out the live show every day from 3 to 6 on KLWN. Thanks for listening.